Hi, everyone, and welcome to Living a Legacy, and I'm excited to welcome the program Eric Couch. Eric, what's going on? I know you're excited hey, about man. our guest. I know. We're, things are going well. Weather's good. We're getting into May. So today, we've got a very interesting conversation. We've got Carol Baskin. Yes, that Carol Baskin. We're going to be talking, and we're going to hear the rest of the story, and there's more story that I'm reading about online. So, Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Hey, all you cool cats and kittens. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. You're welcome, Carol. Absolutely. So, Carol, you know, I'm I'm one of the 400 billion people that was stuck at home a year ago, right? 13 months ago, I think, is when Netflix and all of us were stuck at home and the show pops up. And the only way I've described it to people is it was like watching a train wreck in slow motion and you just couldn't look away. Um, and of course, you were referenced in said show um, and it gave a perspective. Um, and, and I'm one of the people that enjoyed watching the show, but it really was like watching a train wreck in slow motion. You just couldn't look away. Uh, and it seems to resonate with most everybody else. So what I would love to hear is today some of, you know, the backstory, um, you know, and there's a lot of things we'll, we'll discuss and we've got a little time, but um, I guess for starters, is there some place that you would like to start and address before we kind of go back and hear more of the story and uh, kind of your background? We want to talk about cats. We want to talk about a lot of things, but let's start there because that's what people know, right? That's how the word got out. Well, thank you. And it was a perfect storm, I think. Oh, my goodness. Mother Everybody's Nature. stuck at home. Mother Nature had just sent us all to our rooms for the wretched way that we were dealing with right. life. And we were all looking for somebody to blame. And mm -hmm. five days later, Tiger King came out and Joe Exotic proclaimed to the entire world that everything he didn't know about COVID yet, but if he had known about it, I think he would have said I was responsible for COVID as well. Oh, goodness gracious. Yeah, and probably. Like all the yeah. media said that. Yeah. So it was just, I think people were so desperate, one, to be entertained because they were scared out of their minds with COVID hitting. Yeah. And two, they were looking for somebody to blame. You know, people don't want to think about their own responsibilities as far as the mess we've gotten this planet into by not doing the things that are hard and expensive in order to ensure that we all have a life support system going forward. So I think it was an easy way for people to uh, refocus their attention on hating somebody. And I'm really glad that I was that person because I have the inner belief that everything happens for a reason and that it's all actually for the best and leading us to a higher sense of enlightenment. Whereas I think, and, all, and I've been told by a lot of other people that if they had been in that position, they probably would have committed suicide or, you know, just completely lost their minds during that period of time. So I, I'm thankful that it didn't happen to anybody that didn't have a, a better grip on. So being considered, the, you, you said you were the hated one in some ways. I wouldn't have thought that. It just depends, I guess, on the fan base and which side they would take. So you were able to handle that. So how could you were able to deal with that, especially you didn't know how much of a storm it would be for the people that love you or hate you, you know, in certain ways based on the show? Yeah, it was a real shock. I mean, when my husband and I um, first saw the teasers for Tiger King, 
we contacted the producers because we've been working with several different production films, most of them for like five years and including yeah. one for Tiger King. So they were all doing these things simultaneously and different ones had different um, pitches toward, you know, animal protection. So Hidden Tiger came out after five years. And of course, nobody probably has ever heard of Hidden Tiger. It was an excellent film that talked about why we're losing the tiger in the wild. The conservation game is about how all of the big cat problems started in America with these talk show hosts taking cute little cubs onto late night shows and uh, several others that we were working on. And so Tiger King was pitched to us as being called something called uh, stolen wildlife. And the whole thing was supposed to be the blackfish for big cats. Did you guys see blackfish? I'm not. No, but I saw that referenced online. Uh, it was what was that? CNN ran it. And it was a film that showed how these orcas are taken away from their pods and forced to be kept in these little concrete swimming pools at SeaWorld and Seaquariums around the world and how these animals suffer in captivity. And as soon as people saw all of the abuse behind that industry, you know, stock and SeaWorld absolutely plummeted. They had to change the way yeah. they were doing things. They can't take animals from the wild anymore. They can't breed animals for life in those swimming pools anymore. And because the public won't stand for it. And so we thought, we were told, we were working on that for big cats all those years. And we have been providing them with all of the information about how petting cubs is actually causing the extinction of tigers in the wild. We gave them access to all of the experts that we know in the industry. And of course, told them who all the, what we call bad guys are that are out there exploiting cubs and pimping them out for pay to play sessions. And so when Netflix started pitching this thing called Tiger King, we called them up and we were like, who's doing that show? Because everybody in this industry knows who's <laughs> working on what. And all of a sudden they didn't want to talk to us. And they had said Joe Exotic would be just, you know, a very small part of this thing that would be about all of these bad actors. So we sat there like everybody else and binge watched it. And we kept thinking, you know, at some point they're going to tell the truth here. They're going to say, right. Here's you know, we've done this whole thing, this whole character assassination of Carol, but here's what the truth is. Because we had seen a podcast done that way the year before for Wonder mm -hmm. And they had gone through that same kind of a format where they, you know, they went along with everything that the bad guys say about me. And then at the end, he said, but here's what I found out to be true. And he's like, all these people are liars. And this is the only right. woman that's actually trying to end the abuse. And so we sat there through seven episodes waiting for that day. And it was like, it didn't come. And so at the end of it, my husband and I sat there looking at each other and we were just gobsmacked and said, you know, what a missed opportunity. They hardly talked about tigers at all as far as, you know, what's going on with them. Exactly. Yeah. It really wasn't about tigers. It was about like putting in some sense, putting the fun in dysfunction. I mean, it was, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was just, it, yes. you know, yeah. I mean, from, just I don't even know how to describe it there's so much from yeah. everything but just uh I guess the depravity of man is probably what it's about yeah. uh in a in a semi almost comical but really kind of sad just is this real it's like no these aren't actors like this is even though they at least Joe sees himself as you know theatrical and everything he does but it's just like wow um but yes, you you were painted very specifically by you know Joe, um, you know, and there's a specific phrase that's used regularly 
uh, by Joe. Um, but then, you know, they, they do name, huh? I said, it's like become my middle name. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it has. And I know that, you know, on Facebook, there was what, there was some tiger King memes that literally I, I looked one day and it was started. And I want to say like three days later, it had over a hundred thousand. And then it was like, seemed like a million. And I was like, Oh my goodness, this thing is it's everywhere. Um, you know, but, but you're also portrayed from watching it as, as someone who's, you know, kind of the, the Goliath of, you know, and that you've got this massive media presence that apparently you built for quite a while, YouTube, Facebook, social media, right. uh, a pretty material following of people, um, that assumedly, you know, that's, that's what allowed you to, you know, from a positive perspective, you know, it's used as she's got this army of people that's trying to hold Joe down. Right. But then, you know, if, if, as an analytical person, you're going, okay, she's got this army of people that she's built an influence. So, you know, I know as a side, I would be curious to know, uh, you know, how did you, how did you go about Cause I want to come back to the drama, but I'm curious, how did you build that influence? I mean, being an influencer of having all these people, a lot of people were like, how do you do that? Uh, and, and clearly just from watching the show, like you've done that. And I'm assuming that's what's helped fund Big Cat Rescue. And that's what helped, you know, get the word out and stuff. So I, I would love to, at least for a minute, just to kind of hear, step back and, and hear that. Cause it's, it's intriguing to a lot of people and how somebody does that. Well, it's interesting that you you phrased it that way, because I think there are two different camps out there. There were people who either right. already knew us or people who may not have known me because they didn't know so much about cats. They might have known about elephants or dolphins or whatever. Right. But they understood that there is an industry that exploits animals and there are people screaming in the darkness against it like they yeah. have. Been. And so people who associate with wanting to protect animals to them, of course, no matter what they managed to say about me or have people say about me, they were still like, I don't care about anything else. I just care about the animals. But then there was this huge element of people who just didn't, for lack of a better word, put dog in that fight. And so <laughs> they just didn't care to them. Yeah, I had no idea it existed. Yeah. And that's been a problem. But as far as how yeah. we built this um, amazing team that we have, back in the 90s when we started this, I'm in real estate for a living. And so I okay. have always been really um, frugal. Like I don't have an office. I don't have excessive you know, secretaries and all of that kind of stuff. I really work on a shoestring, even though it's a, a multi-million dollar real estate business now. And it, exactly. it got destroyed during the, the um, conservatorship. But I've always been that kind of person. Anywhere I can cut corners without, you know, of course, harming the cats, I would do that. And when I started the sanctuary, I felt like the biggest expense are salaries and people love big cats. And so mm. if you give them the opportunity to be safely trained to work around the cats and to do something important with their lives, then people will do that kind of work for free. They won't right. do stuff like fundraising or you know they don't want to give tours they don't want to go out and talk to kids at schools but they want to work around the cats so all of our animal care has always been done by volunteers and for some reason I don't know why but like from the 90s until now we've always had between like 80 and 120 volunteers it's always like right with wow 
Yeah. yeah, that's material. Do you think? Do you think it's because people love being around cats? It's right. kind of like in the pro wrestling business. And I, when I watched Tiger King, I'm a former pro wrestler, Carol, and I and I know the whole industry of the carnival act. That's pretty much a lot of these tiger people. It's like a carny, in certain mm-hmm. ways. So everyone wants to be part of it in some sort of way because they could never be able to reach out and touch an animal unless they had that opportunity or to be around what it had. Well, we don't let them touch them. <laughs> Not touch them unless you're at Joe's, right? Yeah. yeah, I don't know that I'd want to touch them per se, but yeah. well, the Cubs, you know, you, you yeah. Know. So you know that part of what we've done has already has always been. So many people are giving their entire lives to taking care of these animals, and of course, they're telling others about it, and so it shared, you know, shares by word of mouth. But when I could only afford three paid people, I hired one person to manage all those volunteers. I had hired one person mm-hmm. to um, run our gift shop. So you've got merch and logo wear and all that kind of stuff that you're putting out there that's advertising and branding. And then the third person, everybody thought I was crazy in this industry, but I wanted a videographer. And I felt mm-hmm. like, you know, back in the 90s, I thought video was going to be the next big thing. And it turns out it was. Right. And so these- It was, Yeah. <laughs> These, you know, if you remember the 90s, it's like trying to get the tiniest little video clip to even play anywhere. It was such a huge right. We were so thrilled when YouTube and Facebook and these social sites came along. So Right, um, because we also, had, we also had dial-up internet in the 90s, so it would take like 20 years to get the video to play. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you remember. <laughs> yeah. So that was always an important part of what we were doing was – making sure that every week there was a new video that was coming out. And we did the 80, 20 Mm -hmm. rule. So 80% of the stuff we just do is silly, fun stuff of cats having fun. But the other 20% is where we're trying to move people to actually contact their member of Congress and ask them to support our federal bill that would ban cup petting and phase out private possession. Mm -hmm. And ultimately what that does is it puts us out of business because that's my ultimate goal. There shouldn't be a place that has to rescue big cats from horrible situations. We just shouldn't have horrible yeah. situations. So that's been my goal all these years. And I naively thought, how hard could it be? And it turns out it's taken nearly 30 years. And we're, we're just now closing in on getting this federal bill passed. But um, it will pass this year, I'm sure. And that will put it into probably 95% of the abuse. Yeah. So what do you do then, Carol, if you put yourself out of work in that way? You know, my ultimate goal has always been to work with domestic cats and kittens because so many, I mean, millions of them are killed in shelters every year because people won't spay and neuter their pets. And the only way to overcome that is through aggressive spay and neuter programs, making it free for people who can't afford it, um, getting, giving um, veterinarians incentives to want to do that for free because currently that's not the case. And right. we could bring that number down to where every pet had a home. And that's what I really want to do. But I got to take care of this big cat thing before I can get back to what I really set out to do. You know, and that, so that brings up the, the question. So one of the things I had read, and I don't correct me if this is wrong, but um, is that when you've, I guess when you first started into this, like you were, you, you loved cats and kittens and stuff as a, as a child. My wife's name is Catherine. She always gone by cat. And I, I kid you not, there's not been a cat that has ever existed that she didn't want to stop and pet or give, you know, her mom is so funny because Marion's like, oh, that's not my cat. I don't want the cat. And we're like, then then why do you put food out every night for it? She's like, because I'm concerned somebody's not feeding it. And I'm like, well, you know what? If you're feeding the cat, 
it's probably your cat now. And the cat comes, stands at her window every day. And she's like, it's not my cat. I don't, I don't want the cat. I just don't want it to starve. And I'm like, well, that cat's getting fed every day. So she's coming by. So my wife gets it naturally. Um, but what I had read was that when you first started, uh, that it said that you actually raised cubs and that y'all were selling them. Is that, is that correct at some point? It was. We never bred lions or tigers. But okay. when we first got started, it was before the internet. And so we reached out yeah. to the local zoo. We had rescued 56 bobcats from a fur farm. And so we come home. I called the zoo, the local zoo. That's a few. What do I feed yeah. these guys? And they like hang up on me because I'm this stupid pet owner. And I was like, I didn't know this industry from anything. Yeah. And so the only people I could get advice from were the breeders and dealers. And they were saying these are, you know, rare endangered animals. Some of the cats that we had were, they were ocelots and caracals and probably cats you've never heard of. And so they said, you need to breed these for future generations. And the zoos are doing a lousy job of it. And so we did breed from about 95, I think 95, 94, 95 to 97. And we stopped breeding in 1997 because the internet came along. And I started going to the Association of Zoo and Aquariums. It's like a trade show for the big accredited zoos. Mm -hmm. and what I found out is none of these cats that are in private ownership have a pedigree so that you can't put them back mm -hmm. in the wild because you don't know where they came from. And they're mm -hmm. all crossbred and inbred. And so there's no conservation value at all to them. And so I started spaying and neutering them as fast as I could. We had a couple so you thought cats. you were doing a good thing, and the reality is, it's 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 not helping if you try to put them back in with with the others because they're wow. they've been inbred so much. Is that and, right? Well, yeah, and it's illegal. So it's illegal to release a cat who has been born in a cage to the wild. There's mm -hmm. only been one um, test, well, two test programs. One is in Spain with the Spanish lynx that has gone extinct in their area. But when they breed those cats, they're raised by their mothers. They're never around people. They control them with remote or they watch them with remote controlled cameras, just like we do with our rehab cats. We never handle them or go near them. We dress up like trees if we have to go out there to the area where they are, because you don't want them to imprint on people. Whereas all these people mm -hmm. in Tiger King, the only reason they're breeding cats is because people will pay to pet them. Those cats are never serving any conservation value. They're never going back to the wild. So it's illegal to release a captive bred cat, except for that really? Lynx program. And there was once, and we were involved in it back in the 90s, a program for ocelots, because ocelots used to be in the US, but we've hunted them to extinction. And so the zoo said, you know, we got these ocelots, how about we breed them? We release them into what they call a soft release area, so that those mothers then raise their kittens that are then released completely out to the wild. So we wanted to be a part of that. And what they found very quickly was that these cats have instinctual, um, they have uh, regional instincts. And so the cats that were in zoos all came from Central and South America. They were releasing them into the U.S. In Central and South America, ocelots eat snakes. In oh. Texas, where they released them, those were rattlesnakes. And it wiped oh, out no. the entire population right away. And so there's never- the rattlesnakes or ocelots? <laughs> the ocelots, <laughs> the, the rattlesnakes won because the ocelots thought, oh, food. No, oh, yeah, grass snake. Those look tasty. <laughs> yeah. So that showed that you just cannot release these animals back to the wild if you don't know their regional history. Right. And 
So that's when we stopped breeding the cats. We had a couple of accidents with cats that were like 18 years old. They usually only live to be 12 in most zoos and most in, in the wild. Here at the sanctuary, I've got cats out there that are 25 years old. So I thought by the time they were 18, they were the least that I had to worry about. I started spaying and neuter all the younger ones first. And so we had a couple of kittens that were born in 1999, I think one in 2000, but we haven't bred cats in 20 years. And there's just no reason to do it because they don't belong. Hi everyone and welcome to Rob Roselli show. I'm excited to welcome program Rob Roselli. Rob, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey Neil, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? Good, good, good. So what's new? What's new in the crazy world in 2022 so far when it comes to the news that you're surprised about or really not so surprised about? Well, I'll tell you what I'm not surprised about is this impending war between Russia and the United States over the Ukraine. Um, this plays right into my Mystery Babylon link on my website, boxofsunglasses.com. And a couple months ago, we went through Revelation 17 and 18 line by line, and which, which painted a situation where the United States would basically be isolated as the horror of Babylon and the rest of the world would gang up on the United States and, and basically come in with some kind of surprise nuclear attack or, or something like that. And unfortunately, and I hope I'm wrong, that's the picture that's emerging with the with this situation over in the Ukraine. Um, the thing to watch out for right now is is if countries start to abandon the United States, like NATO, start breaking away from the United States in its effort to I don't know what the right word is. I guess to deter the impending Russian invasion of the Ukraine and start siding with Russia or start abandoning the United States in its, in its quest. It seems it's seemingly bloodlust quest for another war, but this time with Russia, which is not Iraq or Afghanistan or not the Taliban in Afghanistan. Obviously Russia is a, is a superpower and probably at this point more powerful militarily than the United States. As Joe Biden continues to weaken the United States military with his COVID vaccine mandates and kicking out Christians out of the military and, and all kinds of nutty stuff that Biden's doing, all kinds of woke politics he's applying to the military. So the United States military is being gutted at the same time that Joe Biden is, is ramping up the, the war drums and beating the war drums for a war with, with another superpower. I'd be very careful here because the Russians, I don't know how much, nobody knows how much patience the Russians really have with this. I mean, the Ukraine is really, it has no vital interest to the United States or it does, however, because it's adjacent to Russia, obviously it has security implications for Russia. So they're not really interested in having the United States puppet government run, run the nation as it's running now. So. I would keep a close eye on this conflict or, or burgeoning conflict over there. And like I said, hopefully I'm wrong because that mystery Babylon, the breakdown of Revelation 17 and 18 is an awful, is an awful prophecy, especially where the United States is involved. And hopefully this is not it, but it, it has that potential to go that way. And of course the United States is, 
now is pushing buttons, China's buttons in the South China Sea. Recently sent two carrier strike groups over there as a show of force to the Chinese. And then you have the Chinese and looking to overtake Taiwan. So while the United States is busy with, with Ukraine, we could see another war or potential war with the, with the Chinese over Taiwan as they move in. Knowing the United States is preoccupied with Russia. So we could see another war there. Then we have Syria, the situation in Syria, which is another potential war, another potential uh, hot point for a war with the Russians as Syria is a Russian ally. And for some reason, the United States seems obsessed with Assad using chemical weapons on his own people, although that's never been proven. And in, in many instances, points to a false flag event. So whatever the reasons are for to start a war with Syria and the, you know, the Russian ally of Syria. So I guess in the aggregate, people are getting tired of the United States warmongering and, 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 and moves for war. So again, when you see nations start to break away, especially NATO nations, France and Germany and, and England start to break away from the United States and maybe seek a separate peace with the Russians away from the United States, then it's time to start worrying that we're, that we're isolating ourselves. And with the cognitive compromise, Joe Biden in office, who knows where this all leads? I mean, who knows who's really running the show? I mean, Joe Biden obviously is, is mentally incapacitated. So who knows as a commander in chief, if he really has, if he really does have control of the military or there's, a, there's some kind of consortium of generals and running the military and, and, and in parallel with the Oval Office or in lieu of the Oval Office. So who knows what's really going on in the upper echelons of the government right now. But I would say that, again, biblical prophecy seems to be coming online here very rapidly. And I would, I would warn people to be very careful here and, 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 and sift through the news very carefully and, and, and watch things in the coming weeks and months as to what goes on over there in these different, these different regions of the world as the United States pushes for war, this psychopathic push for war, and nobody really knows why, 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 the, why the United States is always seeking war I guess to keep the, the military industrial complex satisfied is the only thing I can think of, Neil. It's, wars are very profitable for certain sectors of the economy. So this is what they're pushing for, I guess. Or to finally get out of the bad reputation they have by going to war, but I don't know if they can beat the Russians. We can beat the Russians. A war like this could last forever, a long time. Well, yeah, it could last for a long time if it's conventional, but if it goes nuclear, which is a definite possibility, then it could be over in a matter of, you know, hours, you know, days or hours. Um, and the Russians, you know, the Russians are deploying their submarines and their, their Navy 
is all out to sea. I read a report the other day that the entire Russian Navy is being deployed out, out to sea. Uh, according to one report that I read, unconfirmed that the Russian subs showed up in Long Island Sound. Um, so the Russians are definitely, and they're moving into Cuba and Venezuela, seemingly as a, as a response to the United States moving into the Ukraine, which is setting up another Cuban missile crisis. So, and again, this is all over a country that we really have no vested interest in the Ukraine. There's no strategic importance to the United States. Although it's very important to the Russians, it's, it's actually, you know, it's associated with their Black Sea, you know, their their access to the Black Sea, the Mediterranean for their naval, their naval forces. So it's very important to the Russians. So it's like we're we're poking the Russian bear over a country that we have really no interest in. It's it's on the surface, you know, unless there's a compelling reason that nobody knows about, it seems like psychopathic to what they're doing, what the government's doing here. United States to push into this war. And again, the Russians, this isn't the Taliban, this isn't some ragtag army, you know, pickup trucks running around the desert. This is this is Russia, which is which is basically debt-free. I mean, don't forget the United States is going into this into this war with a major superpower, you know, with a very fragile economy very fragile debt situation. So I don't know how we can even afford a war. Fiscally, we could afford a war if it's conventional with a country like Russia or, or emotionally. I mean, let's, let's, let's get that priority straight here. I mean, first we get the fiscal situation or emotionally. I mean, you're talking about thousands of thousands of casualties for a war that really would have no purpose and potentially, you know, strikes on the homeland nuclear strikes or EMP strikes. And then again, you have China running around over there in Taiwan and China in all likelihood pounce on Taiwan if the United States' is, attention is diverted into the Ukraine and dealing with the Russians. So things are very volatile in the, in the world right now, Neil. And, and, and unfortunately, um, no, it's going nowhere good. And, and I hope I'm wrong, but Again, besides God's simple salvation plan, which is the link on my site, boxofsunglasses.com, there's the Mystery Babylon USA uh, link, which I break down those two chapters in Revelation line by line. And they're pointing to a scenario just like it's breaking down in the world right now. Uh, but of course, there's a, you know the rest of the Revelation, you know the book of Revelation, which I believe a lot of it is symbolic and not meant to be taken literally. I mean, there's, there's multiple schools of thought on that. Uh, I am one that believes that the, much of Revelation is to be taken symbolically. So that would buttress the case for what I'm saying about Revelation 17 and 18, and we can spend hours and days going to Revelation and maybe in future shows we can we can get into that a little more deeply to kind of explain things. But for right now, I'd say boxofsunglasses.com. And again, God's simple salvation plan. And I guess we'll talk to you next week.
Well, Rob, it's uh, different. We're not talking COVID right now. And I wonder when that COVID, was that a smokescreen? And will how long will that smokescreen continue to talk about COVID when we're in the midst of a world war? Well, COVID, you know, with the vaccines, it's coming out more and more information is coming out on the vaccines that they're really ineffective and, and they're, they're really more dangerous and more harm than good. And, and it's coming out more and more. And of course, Dr. So-called Dr. Fauci, Dr. America's Dr. Mengele, is still pushing the vaccines even for even for infants at this point. So he's he's a proven liar and and in my opinion, a psychopath. Um, yet the media still portrays him as the king of the king of COVID and in charge of things. But you know that's a subject for another day. But. King Fauci is pushing the vaccines for little kids, and that's all you need to know. I mean, it's really, it's really disheartening to that we're headed down the path with that as well. So, uh, a lot going on, a lot going on in the world right now. That's not all of it's good. Hey, so again, all right, perfect, Rob. I appreciate it. Boxofsunglasses.com, and we'll talk next week, man. All right, Neil. All right, that was the Robert Sully Show, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of Freedom from Addiction. Truth just below the surface the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? Doing good this morning, Neil. My uh, podcast today is Media Fakes, the first Omicron death story. Despite all signs indicating that SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variety variant causes only mild illness, the World Health Organization declared it a variant of concern and countries responded with renewed mask mandates and lockdowns. On December 20th, 21, the U.S. press went wild, reporting that the first Omicron death had been reported in Houston, Texas. Some claim the man was killed by reinfection with Omicron, even though he recovered from previous COVID-19 illness, suggesting that natural immunity does not work for the variant. As it turns out, this was fake news. The uh, county health department could not confirm that the patient died from Omicron infection, only that he had tested positive for it at some point before his death. He reportedly had underlying health conditions. Authorities, meaning the consortium of individuals and groups, which include politicians, national media news, technocrats, government health officials, eugenic proponents, socialists, and others, um, wasted no time to use the Omicron death, it really wasn't, to scare the unvaccinated. But the data tells a different story. Those who are double or triple jabbed are two to five times more likely to develop secondary infections when injected with Omicron uh, than the unvaccinated, I'm sorry, when infected with Omicron than the non 
or unvaccinated who have a 1.17 higher risk of secondary infections when infected with Omicron compared to Delta. While the unvaccinated have higher transmission rates, they're less likely than the COVID jabbed to develop problematic infections from Omicron, suggesting Omicron evades vaccine-induced immunity. Ever since the SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variant emerged in December 21, all the signs indicated that it was the mildest and least lethal variant yet. Not a single death has been attributed to it in South Africa, for example, where it was initially detected. Um, we still have a problem here with this consortium of individuals promoting lies and fake news every time they can the unvaccinated into taking the COVID jabs. And we know that the jabs themselves have a high death rate and high rate of um, problems associated that don't result in death. So continue to listen to us for late breaking news as soon as we get it on um, the Omicron. And um, this story was um, sourced from Dr. Joseph Mercola and has been fact-checked. Um, please tell your friends, neighbors, associates, family, to listen to this podcast. It's free, of course, and they can get it at www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. Spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N, no spaces, no capitals. And that's my story for today. Okay, that was Freedom from Addiction, Truth, Just Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. Take care, guys. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special edition of Freedom from Addiction, Truth, Just Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. And I'm excited to welcome to our Reverend Wynn Henderson, MD. Wynn, how are you? Doing good, Neil. The program today is Why Do Variants Keep on Emerging Despite Vaccination? There is no end to all these COVID variants because, by nature, the corona viruses, like most viruses, evolve very fast. This has been thoroughly explained by evolutionary virologist Dr. Edward Holmes in a September 2020 article published by the New York Times. In that article, Dr. Holmes explained that most variants of SARS-CoV-2 are 99.95% similar to the original one. Another article from Science News explains that mutations in variants only refer to a change in the virus structure. Most of the time, it does nothing at all. We encourage you to uh, check out the, uh, this as, as a fact. It's been fact-checked. And aside from the natural evolution of viruses, there is another important factor that is causing the rapid mutation of SARS COVID-2. Science calls it vaccine immune pressure, wherein the virus learns 
to escape the vaccine-mediated immune response. Leaky vaccines, or those vaccines that cannot stop the transmission of a disease, can promote the evolution of hot viral strains that can put the unvaccinated at a greater risk. This idea has uh, been proven by several studies. Data from countries today confirm that COVID vaccine is a leaky virus and that it is driving the creation of new COVID variants. Vaccines damage the innate immune system. Aside from the leaky nature, several studies show uh, that it is damaging the innate immune system. Just uh, on January the 10th, 2022, the Philippines recorded the highest daily COVID tally of 28,707 since the pandemic started, despite reaching a vaccination milestone of 51%. Another reason is the fact that the COVID vaccines, which uh, were created to be very narrow and would not have the capacity to protect against new variants. You must remember that these, quote, vaccines, quote, are not medicines. They work only if a person has a healthy immune system. And there is no greater protection against any pathogen than that of a well-trained immune system. Gert Vanden Bosch, one of the first scientists to raise the alarm on the possibility of monster viruses as an effect of mass vaccination with leaky COVID vaccinations, has also said that the only natural immunity, that only a natural immunity can create Research also shows that natural immunity is not only long lasting, it's also more powerful than the uh, mRNA quote vaccines and their natural uh, mediated immunity. Several country officials are already saying that boosters are going to be a reality in the future. As long as governments worldwide are obsessed with keeping COVID infections to zero, turning variants even when they are benign, then we'll, there will be no end to the panic, fear, and COVID fanaticism. So um, you remember that once regarded as a conspiracy theory, it is now a reality we must grapple with every day as more and more governments around the world reimposed the failed draconian measures of 2020 
thanks to the new COVID variants. It seems that the consortium of individuals and groups, uh, which include politicians, national media news, technocrats, government, health officials, eugenic proponents, socialists, and others who have a, a narrative agenda to promote are going to use lies and fears uh, to scare you into getting the mRNA vaccines, which have a high death rate and um, rate of injury associated with them. This uh, podcast brings you truth just below the surface. Don't be afraid to hold out against these, um, quote, vaccines, because there is good evidence that getting the jab is not in your best interest. Tell your family, friends, neighbors, associates, business um, people, and anybody that you know to come to this podcast, Truth Just Below the Surface. They can find it at www.freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. You spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. No period, uh, no um, spaces, no capitalizations. And Neil, that's our show for today. All right, that was uh, Freedom from Addiction, Truth Just Below the Surface, and the Neil Haley Show. Take care, everybody. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment, and I'm excited to welcome to the program, again, somebody that I learned so much in my media career, listened to him in the morning for years, and again, a great NFL player as well, great NFL analyst, and much, much more, Mike Golick. Mike, thanks for stopping by, and you're with, again, you're tackling diabetes, and it what a great mission. Everybody has to have that kind of mission in their lives to do that. To do that. And joining us also is Hope Warshaw. She's an education specialist that's going to educate us all about diabetes as well. Thanks again, uh, Mike, for stopping by and Hope for stopping by. How are you guys? Doing well, Neil. Thanks. All right, Mike. So tell me specifically enough why this means so much to you to tackle diabetes. What is the... Well, I, yeah, listen, this... this became a lifestyle for me when I was diagnosed. I was diagnosed about 10 years after I was done playing. Now my father uh, was diagnosed as well. So I knew that there was a possibility because it was in the family that this would happen. But still, uh, you know, I had to now decide how am I going to deal with this? How am I going to live this new lifestyle after a lifestyle of being an athlete and eating whatever I wanted and working out all the time and knowing I could get away with things. Now I had to change that. So, you know, with the help of my wife, we, we, I do everything around sports and team sports. So I knew I needed a game plan. It was, you know, getting a doctor as my coach. My wife was my teammate and I, I, you know, brought in others as well to help me, but it was still a learning process. And one of the big things I learned, Neil, was everybody deals with it differently. 34 million people deal with type 2 diabetes. That's 485 filled football stadiums of people. And everybody deals with it differently. How I deal with it, others deal with it differently. That's why I really wanted to get involved. And I really enjoyed talking to some other former professional athletes like Kyle Love in football and John Cruck in baseball about their individual journey. Again, and this is all part of the Talking Type U campaign 
that, that I'm, I'm very, very happy to be a part of because it's not just athletes. It's everybody outside the world of sports, in the world of sports who's dealing with this. It's their own individual journey that they have to go on. So when Mike got diagnosed, Hope, and you think about this, how do other people kind of see those warning signs that, you know what, I'm, I, need to get te- I need to get tested to see, you know, if I have this, especially. And, you know, like the, as, an, as a former athlete myself, so, like I understand exactly what, what we go through because specifically enough, we have to put on a certain amount of weight. I was a former professional wrestler and different things. And I'd have to eat really work looking at dietitians, looking at how much weight we could put on, right? How we could keep the weight on. And it, it didn't matter. It could be beer and pizza. So you don't really look at specifically what you're eating when you're really young, and then it could be a certain thing. So what are those warning signs? Hope? Right. So you asked about warning signs. Yes. The reality is with type two diabetes, people often don't have warning signs uh, like they may might with um, type 1 diabetes. So it's really important that through the years people get screened and checked for having elevated glucose levels. So there's no real symptoms a lot of times. No, no um, not necessarily. It's not necessarily that sort of tiredness and frequently urinating that it is with with type 1 diabetes. But what is critically important is that um, people do get checked. And if you learn that you do have diabetes, that you start taking care of it and taking action from day one. And sort of key critical elements of an action plan are um, healthy eating, and you alluded to that, physical activity, for sure, even if it's just a walking program, um, a lot of people with, with diabetes type two need to be taking medication. And then the overarching monitoring, monitoring uh, with a glucose meter, what is going on day to day, and then using that data that you collect. And uh, typically today, people are using technology to gather that data and then using it to analyze what's working in your plan well and what isn't working well, and then making tweaks to change that. And also diabetes evolves over the years. What you do on year one of having type two diabetes is not necessarily what you need to be doing at year 10, year 15 of having diabetes. All right, so let's kind of jump Mike into what you did. How did you change? your lifestyle and everything once getting diagnosed. Well, and, and to go back really quick, what's important is to say, how, how do you know is to get the checkups, get mm-hmm. your, at least yearly checkups. It's something I have always done. And that's how I found out, you know, sometimes, especially guys, as we know, we don't want to go. Uh, if we oh, I feel fine. I don't need to see a doctor. Well, getting those annual checkups at least is going to help without question. And for me, it was very basic for me. Okay. I knew I had to change, you know, again, it wasn't a diet. It was a lifestyle of how I was going to eat and what I was going to go through and how I was going to deal with nutrition and sleep and hydration and exercise. So what I did, Neil, all, and quite honestly, I jumped into modern technology and with one touch solutions, they, they have customized programs that can, you can use say through Fitbit. If I wear Fitbit all the time, Noom, WellDoc, Cecilia Health, and all the information that Hope was talking about, especially through my one-touch glucose meter, goes into these different programs, and I feed those programs information, and they kick me back 
what I'm doing and what I need to do. You know, either AI information or I can actually chat with someone like Hope live with some of these programs to ask questions and get answers. So the big thing to me is use the help around you. You don't have to do this alone. There are so many ways to help so many programs, especially the One Touch Solution has to help you on this journey because it's very difficult to do alone. Yeah, well, absolutely. And Hope, I guess that's the thing is once people get diagnosed, then sometimes they feel like their life is going to change dramatically. And it's really just a lifestyle change, but people like you hope help through that process, right? We do. So I'm a certified diabetes care and education specialist, and I really encourage people to seek us out because we're able to give you the skills and give you the know-how to um, manage your diabetes on your own. It really needs to integrate into your lifestyle so people should be very comfortable advocating for themselves with their healthcare providers to say well this is something i feel like i can do that's something that i feel like i'm not ever going to do <laughs> and because that's how you get as mike calls it a game plan that's going to work for you and it needs to evolve over time mindset's another thing mike right especially once you start changing your diet right it's it's how do you you know we all know we, we we're up late at night there's certain you know food commercials on now it's much easier now by just ordering you can order anytime you want and food comes to your door yeah. how do you keep that willpower power going well that a support group be it your wife i was very open with my wife and my kids about this my dad was, was had it in an era where they kind of kept it private and that's that was his choice and i i'm not you know, criticizing that at all. I was very open about it. So again, the more help you can get, you know, in the house, my wife put, put a lot of clean food in the house, you know, work out, we work out together. Who do you work out with? Who do you, you know, interactions in your daily life with that can help along the way. It's, I think the people that try and do it alone, unless you have unbelievable willpower and there, I'm sure there are those that do, uh, that can do it. But other than that, seek out the help. You know, because there are those temptations and you know what, every now and then it's okay to give into them. I'm an 85, 15 guy, 85 good, 15 bad. I still do it. I, I, I'm not going to sit here and say I never eat something that I shouldn't. I do. But through all these programs now, I, I learn when I can have that. And if I have it, then what I need to do after I have something like that to get back to where I need. The biggest thing to me, and I, that's why I associate it with sports, is I come from a team sports. Have that team around you from family to friends to healthcare professionals to doctors, whatever, whoever you need in your life to help keep you on the right path. Do you think during the career of an NFL player, even you know, when you see certain players that we're gonna call them these because they're unbelievable athletes, that they could at one point have this? Do you are they again, you get the NFL doctors all the time, but once you retire, do you reach out to retired players at times and say, hey, you know, uh, are you are you really still focusing on your health and things like that and try to be that advocate? So through the, the NFL PA, actually, I, I have spoken and done videos for for ball players in obesity afterward because that it is what happens. Listen, I've been working out since 10 years old. I retired from football at 32. It's a lot of years of working out, eating whatever I wanted, drinking whatever I wanted because I knew I was going to work it off to when you're done, you don't do those things anymore, but you keep eating. All of a sudden your weight goes up. So we're really starting to get involved in programs now um, for former athletes about that and about obesity and, and about 
right when you're done, you know, you live that itinerary life. Now you have to do it on your own. So again, I encourage use the people around you to get in the right habit. And the great thing about playing ball, you get a checkup every year. So you know what's going on with your body and you need to continue that when you're done playing. And this is again, true for people outside of sports as well, is to be monitored to know where you stand. So Mike, best place that we can connect with Hope and yourself and learn more about what's going on. Where's the best place to go? TalkingTypeU.com is the place to go. That well, You can hear the interviews that I did with some of the former professional athletes. You have a chance in some sweepstakes to win some healthcare equipment like home gym equipment, things like that. But TalkingTypeU.com is a great, great place to go to get some great information. Mike, thanks for stopping by. Hope, appreciate all the great information. And it really gets you to know, get to your doctors, get look and always get tested for all the different things that are out there because you never know what can happen. And then once you are diagnosed, it's time to make a game plan. And the best place is connect with you guys. So I appreciate you guys. Thanks again for stopping. Thank you, Neil. All right, take care. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment.